Welcome everybody to this week's recording. We are discussing the second part of being an effective manager. Now, if you prefer to read last week's content in writing, the blog has been shared on asadzulfari.com and the sharing session in this weekly room is always updated both on Asad's site and Spotify. So we hope that you can give us a visit. Last week, we discussed a lot about being an effective manager and there were a lot of very valuable tips. And this week, we're going to start with um, career goals. So how can you develop an employee's career path, Asad? I think the first thing that you should do is ask when you're having a one-to-one catch-up or meeting with them. Like, ask them, like, hey, everybody has goals, everybody has, you know, dreams. No more question is to ask, like, what's your kind of, like, long-term or even short-term trajectory in the company. Well, of course, if you are an employee, like when you're trying to get a job, of course, you want to say, like, hey, you plan to be staying in the company for quite a long time, right? But if you are already in the company and you're talking to your manager, or if you're a manager, like, yeah, you, you need to cut, like, the, the bullshit, right? Um, some some people, they're very short-term, kind of, like, virtually in your company, uh, and longer-term, like, they might want to move on to another company. But as, as long as they are with you we need to open up a an honest line of communication and actually ask them what do you plan for a short-term or long-term career because like not all companies can cater to what their long-term plans are because in bigger companies there's probably more roles and more promotion opportunities so it's easier to plan smaller companies uh not so easy uh, small companies tend to have higher turnover unless you're in like an early employee, you know, at a management or leadership level. But yeah, number one thing to do is ask. Anything else apart from ask? Yeah, so like for me, I tend to do a uh, monthly, like specifically like to talk about their career and like ask them, are they actually happy and you know, what they want to do more. But I specifically dedicate, you know, one hour a month for my direct reports and basically give them the floor and for them to let me know like what did they actually plan uh, short term or long term be it in the company or if they have any plans to move on to another company i think there this is something that a lot of managers take for granted for instance they don't ask and they don't take into consideration the happiness of the employee because a lot of managers see that okay as a manager i control your kpi i check your kpi but as an employee they don't really have the option to check on their boss or sometimes they are also stuck in a situation where they're not able to report about their boss or their manager anything they're not happy with right so as a manager you need to remember that it goes both ways but having said that Asad is there a, a, a format or a template on how to ensure an employee or staff is actually content with their job scope there's different ways on how to, to do it. For me, it, when I do it uh, monthly, I'll ask them several questions, right? You guys in the audience, you might want to take a piece of paper or pen to take some notes. Or uh, it's, it's quite a long list, but however, you can always catch up on the blog next week if you if you missed it. So these are the questions that I ask my direct reports every month during our dedicated career catch-up. The first question is, on a scale of 1 to 10, how happy are you with the company? And why? This kind of like lets you know whether they're actually happy in a company. And never accept a 10 out of 10 because nothing is always ever perfect. 9 out of 10 is usually the highest. If an employee is giving you a 10 out of 10, meaning like they're just kissing your ass and, and trying not to get into trouble. I think as a manager, you need to realize that you're not expecting them to 
be with you forever, asking them if they're happy and uh, if their score is very high, ask them why. Uh, you, you might want to replicate all of the good things for your other employees. If it's low, then you can figure out like what's going on. Is it a team issue? Is it an, uh, an organization issue which you can like, you know, later when you have your feedback session with the leadership team, you can let them know what's actually going on with, with the team. That's the first question, like how happy you are from a scale of one to 10. Uh, the second question is, or the second and third is like, what do you want to spend more time doing or what do you spend less time doing? Again, like this is uh, something that we briefly covered. And uh, our last week session is about like, really asking out, hey, like if, if someone spends more time, wants to spend more time doing something, that means that they really like it and they'll be more productive doing it. And, you know, if they don't like doing something, they probably will be able to do it, but they'll be not as productive. Obviously, some things that, you know, you can't really choose because of uh, limited resources. However, like when you know what they like to do and what they don't really like, to spend time doing when a project comes to you or a task um, and, and you need to be assigned to your team members, uh, you can assign it more effectively. I mean, they're giving tasks, specific tasks that you know that someone can actually handle or enjoy doing so they can be more productive and hit your goals. The fourth question is, uh, if you ask them is, how do you feel about your long-term career trajectory at the company? Long-term can be three years, five years, you know, 10 years. Ask them if they're an individual contributor. Ask them if they want to switch to become to a people manager. If they're already a people manager, ask them if they want to go to a director level, VP level, SVP level, five to 10 years. So inside whether are they really invested in a company? But again, like some people just go with the flow. Uh, it doesn't mean that if they don't have plans, it's bad. Some people, even after five, 10 years, they prefer to stay as an individual contributor and not being like a, a people manager. It kind of like uh, depends on what they actually want to do. And the fifth question that I always ask is, I will tell them exactly what they are doing well uh, so that they know and they get confirmation from me or affirmation that something that they're doing, they're doing well. And the other part of it is what I think that they can do better. And, and obviously, you don't need to wait for like one month to give the feedback. If you think that's something that they can do better, definitely send them like a message uh, on Slack or email or even like a normal one-to-one every week. However, one key thing to remember, when whenever you're giving feedback, especially like if you're giving feedback, like letting them know, like basically this is a, a thing that you need to improve. Even though it's not like 100% negative, it's a little bit not on the positive side in terms of perception. Uh, when giving feedback, my one number one tip is to ask them like, hey, I want to give a, a quick feedback to you. Is it okay if I give it to you now or would you rather wait until we have a meeting later? Because you never know, like, they're having some issues at home. They're just not in the mood to hear anything negative today. So definitely ask them how they're feeling before giving specific feedback on what they can improve. And I think the, the last question, the sixth question to ask them, I think this is one of the most important things is that what can I, as a manager, do better for them? Again, like, nobody's perfect. Some things that I do may not, you know, vibe well with them. And I need to know, like, What's, what's going on, things that, you know, for me, my role as a manager is to facilitate them, to help them become successful. So anything that I can change in terms of behavior, attitude, the way I work, to help them be more successful, that's much uh, better. So that's kind of like the six main questions that I ask. And I mean, there's a lot more questions, but that's the main questions that I'll, I'll ask my employees every month. I love that we're actually moving towards worrying or rather being concerned about your employee as opposed to what we've been doing for so many years before this, which was to be more concerned about how happy your manager is. But now we're looking towards 
keeping the employees happy as well. Now, going back to checking up our managers, checking up on their employees, how often do you think they should do it? Kind of like depends on your own schedule. Um, if you're managing people, ideally, you would definitely want to have at a minimum a half an hour session every week. But not to talk about careers, like it's just you know general you know, checking up on you know how they're doing, like how are they doing with their projects. Uh, so that's a minimum every week. But just specifically asking them about you know what the plan is for career, I do it every month. But also some managers, like for example, uh, my manager, the person that I'm reporting to, she does uh, a career catch up with me every quarter. Uh, and because it's every quarter, the list of questions are, are longer. And it, yeah, it, it depends with like how do you work, you know, what's your, you know, some managers have a lot of meetings and so you trying to minimize that. And then I think my advice is definitely have those session face-to-face if you can. Turn, like, make sure both parties turn on their, their videos. And just because that in audio, you can't really read your body language, uh, you know, whether they're you know, feeling nervous or even like trying to think too much of if they're telling the truth. Definitely have both videos on. And again, the cadence is either weekly, monthly or quarterly. So since you and also your employers have been practicing these questions, how effective do you think these questions are for the employees? It's, it's very effective. You know, I've been working with a lot of the other companies. It's, it's very, I would say rare, but it's not common to see employees. Like when they're happy, they're always looking for ways to figure out what other campaigns, what are the products that, that they can do to help improve or increase the company's bottom line or revenue. You know, since we started this, or since I joined the company, I've noticed a lot of people like always come up with new suggestions and ideas and projects on, hey, like we should do this uh, because I think it will improve the overall company goals for the next year or for the next three years or the next five years, right? I don't, I have not seen that in any other companies I've worked with. Most other companies, you know, direct reports or employees, they kind of like, yeah, go with the flow. They depend on the matters to assign them tasks. But fortunately for me at HubSpot, uh, the people I've been working with are there. Uh, even though they're not a manager, they're an individual contributor, they're, there's always new ideas and projects that they suggest to improve a company's quality life. So I guess like if an employee is happy and then you, know, you, give them, you give them a sense of ownership, it will improve the entire organization. Essentially, I guess it will make the employees more proactive and more um, involved, motivated basically to work, right? Because you know that you are appreciated. Now, let's talk about the employee's point of view. Apart from KPIs, is there a more effective way of ensuring that an employee is both happy and also productive? One thing to do is always uh, listen to them and not only... Like whenever you're having meetings, I'm sure you have a lot of meetings. Again, like always turn on your video. You know, when you've been working with someone for quite a while, you will notice you know certain things that they do, and if they deviate from it, something's wrong. So you need to be a proactive listener and an observer. Having meetings, uh, look at their body language, even if they're not contributing. Like you can always know what's uh, or get a hint of you know what they're going through. But other than that, like you know, again, like as a manager, you don't only focus on like this. KPIs or company uh, goals, right? You can always do things like team building. Now it's the pandemic, right? Like, how do you even do a, a team building event? But for example, like the Airbnb online experience, there's many different online activities that you can do. Like you can do online trivia games. It's just things that you can do at work that does not remind them 
being at work. Apart from, you know, having the, to do the team building in, in Zoom, but, you know, they're not doing work, you know, you can play, like, online games together. So that's that's how I, how I do it. Like, I organize, like, sometimes monthly or even quarterly sessions with them and also take their suggestions. Like, if they want to host, uh, you know, a game, you know, give the budget for that. And also the one thing that we do here at HubSpot is for any special events, birthdays, for example, or even like Easter, all employees globally, you know, will get some sort of a gift. Like, for example, for Easter, a couple of days ago, like I got a box full of chocolates, right? And the company sent it and everyone gets it. So those little things that can do to them to remind them that you're not only an employee, but you're also a human being and we appreciate you for being with us. I actually rem- uh, recall a few, I think it was a few weeks ago, a friend of ours had her husband's company send them a bunch of like these bento boxes because the husband works for a Japanese company and the bento boxes contain authentic Japanese food, like really, really delicious Japanese food. And what they all did was they all sat around in Zoom and they all ate together. So it was like a company dinner, but they were doing it from home. And I found that really special. But let's move on into how can a manager make an employee feel comfortable discussing about what satisfies or maybe dissatisfies them? Yeah, this is a tricky one uh, because you, you got to do that. There's, there's a thing called the emotional safety net, which you need to develop, you know, with, with everyone that you're working with. Essentially, what a, an emotional safety net is, you got to make sure that your employees are comfortable with letting you know everything, not only about work or if they're having some personal issues at home. Again, like this is not forced. Like, it's up to the employee. If they feel that they can trust your managers, they should be comfortable letting them know. But again, as a manager, you need to stay like stay in neutral. Of course, you know, try to help them, but you know, giving them resources or letting them know that whatever happens, there will be no negative consequences. Let them know that you know I have your back. Whatever happens, I will do whatever I can professionally to help them. And I will not yell at you. Yeah, we do have managers who yell at their employees. Yeah, I've never yelled at anyone. I wouldn't say ever, but in the like, at least companies that I've worked for with in North America and Europe, there's never been yelling involved. Like, I've never seen anyone yell. So for me, I don't even feel the need to yell at anyone because I think that kind of like creates a negative vibe with the company. And also like it, it kills the trust with your direct reports. So I always like, tell them, hey, let me know if you don't like somebody in the company or even if you don't like me. That's totally fine. I'll take that because like, you know, again, my job uh, is not to make, not only to make myself happy, but more importantly, make them happy because they are actually doing the work. I'm just a project manager. I'm just trying to remove blockers and make, make sure things, you know, go to plan. But the actual grunt work, it's your team. It's not you. So making sure that they can trust you. Yeah, again, it's difficult, but something that every manager needs to, uh, to work on, make sure they have the emotional uh, safety net uh, so that they can tell them anything and for you to use whatever available resources professionally to help them for example previously we had uh, someone that you know was going through a really rough time personally lucky enough for us uh, our company provides counseling sessions with um, licensed external therapists or psychologists so they can go like for 10 sessions for free you know we let them hey his number is a thing like you don't have to pay for anything make sure that go through the, the program if you feel that they want you. If they don't, again, our job is just here to listen and let them know there will be no consequences if they cannot open up your feelings uh, to us. 
But what if like you have an employee who is like me? Like I I was in this one job before, and it was the dream job, and everybody was really supportive. I had my direct manager who was supportive, and then my HOD who was supportive, my general manager who is supportive, and they were really always there for me. But I was a difficult employee. <laughs> I was young and stupid, but. Don't you think that this method of checking on employees and being there for them and supporting them too much, can it spoil them? Is it not a form of spoon feeding? I don't really think so because you are invested in their success. Again, I mean, th- there is a difference in terms of spoon feeding versus mi- micromanaging and versus you know giving them uh, enough support for them to move on professionally for me you know, i always trust my my team to you know whatever they can towards our, our team and company goals obviously nobody knows everything right even me my team are the smartest people in the room so i trust them to do you know what they can but again like if they don't they don't know something if they need my help to to, to do something like of course I'll, I'll help them right I will, I wouldn't say take notes, but, you know, just, just keep track of, like, whatever they're doing. Like, if we've, you know, taught them to do a specific thing for a couple of times, like, it's making sure that they really understand what they're doing and they know how to do it. And then, you know, if, if they keep kind of, like, dropping the ball, then we go back to the feedback session, like, asking, like, hey, like, how are you feeling? Is this is this something you really don't want to do? And just kind of, like, letting them know that, you know, we'll, we'll figure out a plan. Uh, again, like it's up to the manager, like how far they want to go to. Spoon feeding can lead to burnout to the manager who's <laughs> managing them. So there needs to be uh, a balance. So how does a manager create an effective project-based uh, WIP or rather work in progress? There are many ways on how to do this, right? Some projects are small enough, you don't really need kind of like a structured way of approaching it. Some projects are, are bigger. So what I employ is what we call the GROW model, like uh, G-R-O-W, like G for goals, R for reality, O for options, and W for will. Um, and again, in audio, it's kind of hard to kind of like uh, visualize. You know, hopefully by next week, we will have this session posted on our blog so that you can have the actual graphic and the questions that I go through. So... What is the grow model, right? So we'll start with G, goals. We ask them, during our one-to-one meetings every week, we'll, we'll ask them this set of questions. For goals, we'll ask them, like, hey, what, what are the goals of this specific campaign or project that you're doing? And then ask them, why is this important to you right now? These are the questions that you ask them. Like, your job is to listen and then give them feedback. Like, don't ever kind of like cut them off or try to hint to a certain direction that you want because whatever goals that you have or the team has, doesn't matter like, you know, how they do it, they're different path as long as they, at the end, uh, reach the goals, that's fine. So that's G, uh, goals. And then R is kind of like a reality check. People have a lot of other projects. Other people might also lean on them to get some uh, work done, help from them. But a reality check is usually just asking them, number one, how does this match up with your other priorities? Just to make sure that they know the hierarchy of priorities of projects. Uh, and then the second thing, you know, if they are uh, having issues to reprioritize or figure out prioritizing projects and they know they need to do something about it, you ask them, like, what are you willing to change to make this happen? You know, move around some time, push deadlines if it's possible. If they need additional resources to do it, you help them with that. Never, ever 
tell them to work overtime. For me, there's, there's never ever a, a, a keyword of overtime. At least in, in where I work currently, right? We never ever have overtime, but you know, we can always push the lines and like try to figure out what's going on and, and get blockers uh, out of the way. So that's reality check. And then all for options. Ask them, what are your first few steps? What have others done in the past? And you know how, how I can help and what resources that uh, that you need. Asking them about options helps them to think critically of letting them know that they are in control of the plan. Even though if I assign them the task, the plan is just like they have the responsibility to, to figure out a plan to do it. And also asking about what have others done in the past. We're going to give you insight whether they have done their research and whether they have that knowledge or a template of how to start a, a certain thing. And obviously as a manager, you're always there to help them. If you can pull in, you know, other resources, for example, like if you have the budget to hire a temporary freelancer to help with the project, uh, or, you know, like another team is a little bit light on work. You can pull some people from the other teams to help them. So, you know, making sure that there are parts know that they have options that's kind of like the way uh, to keep things going and then the last one w in grow uh, it's will i'll ask them how will you know if you're progressing and what will happen if you're not successful this gives them the idea of hey like for everything that you do there are smaller milestones along the way that they need to hit and again it's not me giving them the milestones it's them telling me what the milestones are and if it doesn't like um, sync with what we are expecting, we we'll let them know. However, we still trust them to go with your plan because everybody's different. And again, the question about what will happen if they're successful, let them know that if plan A doesn't work, do they have a plan B or a plan C, uh, right? Obviously, we will work towards plan A as much as possible. But again, nothing's perfect. There's bound to be some blockers, things that happen. So you need to have a plan B. So that's the grow model. Goals, reality, options, and will. And again, I understand audio is kind of hard to kind of like visualize. Uh, but now we'll give you a visual once we publish this session next. You know, um, not to say that this doesn't work, but my previous boss, the last job that I held before I left Malaysia was I was in marketing and uh, I always needed a lot of money. Like I needed bigger budget all the time. So I know that my boss was always saying uh, he did this grow model, but not exactly in that exact arrangement. But he did always ask me, how can I help you? What resources do you need? And the only answer I ever gave him all the time was I need more budget. I need more money to hire this kind of person. I need more money to advertise. I need more money to put these billboards, whatever. <laughs> and then after that, he will go like, okay, uh, how will you know if you're progressing? And then I'll go like, okay, so these are the things that I've done. And then in the end, nothing came out of it. So <laughs> it was always like, I needed more money. He couldn't give me more money, but he wanted me to do certain things. So in your experience, does the GROW model actually help your staff cope with their workload or maybe multiple projects like when I was working? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, again, like the grow model kind of like intent is to help structure or, or help organize the priorities of the project and identify what gaps in terms of resources uh, that you need for this, for the projects. You, you know, even though projects kind of like differ, but kind of like the core structure or the core goal of the project is to increase the bottom line or the uh, revenue. So while, uh, as I mentioned in your case, well, you know, we may not 
be able to give you budget at this time. It's something that we really, as a company, need to take note of. And for the next project that we do, make sure that you know we have the budget. But again, like not all companies have the budgets for, to do everything, uh, and not everything. Nadia, like from from my perspective, not everything can be solved with money. Obviously, like if you have money, you can solve a lot of things really quickly. But again, most companies don't really have unlimited amounts of cash to to hire people or to get more resource. So the group model actually helps them helps everyone to figure out alternative method to run a, a project. Uh, the last question that I ask and, and will is like, what will happen if you're not successful? Plan if you know, basically means like, hey, plan A, yeah, cash. But what's plan B and plan C? So you need to have that different planning level to help you know everyone cope with with projects. Yeah, basically you gotta get creative instead of you know just thinking that okay, give me the money and I'll be able to do this. But instead, you gotta think a little bit outside the box. But uh, how does the grow model apply for projects? that have near impossible deadlines. Because again, I went through this, I had all these impossible deadlines that was always like, it just popped out of nowhere. It was always like, I needed it yesterday. So how does it how does it apply? So like for near impossible deadlines, I think you can throw the group model out of the way because like, <laughs> if it's a near impossible deadline, that means it's something critical, like something maybe the CEO wants or needs, you know, the team to do. So, Projects that near impossible deadlines, meaning that all other projects takes a backseat and we will do this one specific project with that impossible uh, deadlines. However, as a company, like you need to do like proper planning every year to avoid this. But I think that's also a different culture issue. It's a cultural issue here, right? Because, yeah, like when I was looking in Malaysia, yeah, everything is like, this needs to be done yesterday, right? So I don't think that's the right culture of that. When I'm working with um, US companies, I don't think I've ever come across things with near impossible deadlines. Like we've come close to things, but there's never anything that, hey, this is something you need to do and this needs to be done yesterday. There's never ever that. There's always a reasonable deadline. And if you know it comes to a point where, hey, this is something with an impossible deadline, that means that we come into agreement with the managers and all the other teams that might depend on us letting them know that this is something that we need to do first. Just to let you know, this all of the other projects will be taking a back seat uh, until we solve this impossible deadline project. Something that we call a top spot is like when a team goes into code red, meaning that they will not do anything else other than what's defined in the code raid status. Like they'll be working on one specific thing until that's done. Then the team will be no longer in code raid, meaning that they'll they are free to do the normal projects that they were assigned to. Unfortunately, I think uh, working in Malaysia, you're always or uh, perpetually in code red, especially if you're working in an agency. <laughs> it's always like the client wanted this yesterday, and so you know what's going on. And yeah, it's like you said, it's the culture. And I realized that over, I don't know about other countries, but I realized here in Denmark, it's very laid back. Nobody's chasing for any deadlines. It's just always looking for solutions. And that is their main problem. But as far as deadlines are concerned, there's nothing in terms of trying to chase something or if it's like the weekend, yeah, it's the weekend. So what? You wait until Monday. You know, they, that's just their, their attitude. One thing that I like when I moved to Europe, you know, we've mentioned this in previous sessions, like 
no WhatsApp, no Telegram, nobody catch out you on the on, on the weekend. Cutoff time is 5 p.m. or whatever agreed time. For me, I work from 12 p.m. to 8 p.m. Just because I, I work with a lot of team members uh, in, in the U.S., so I adjust my time. But again, there is no expectation if you receive a message. There's no such thing like, you know, in the middle of night, 10 p.m., you say, hey, I need something to be done by tomorrow. That, that never happens. And that's actually illegal in some countries in Europe. Like, you know, in- Yes, it's illegal uh, in Denmark. You're right. Yeah, managers and the company can get sued, you know, by the government for doing that, for like, it's basically forced overtime. So for me, I, I usually send messages at night just because that's, you know, when I'm more productive. And I tell my uh, my team, like, hey, like, you might notice messages at night. You can ignore it. I'm not expecting you to reply until you start your work day. Or if I send it over the weekend, just start it. Like, you can uh, read it on Monday. So, you know, what I tell them is that, you know, on Slack, you can uh, set something called a do not disturb mode, where you can schedule where they can set from 5 p.m. to 10 a.m. the following uh, day. No notifications will come through. They will know their messages. So I, I do that for myself, and I, I encourage everyone in my team to do that as well. Because we're working for a global team, they might get messages in the middle of the night. No, we don't want them to wake up and even like skim the message. Okay, just an update again. Uh, Slack is, in case nobody else is using it, it's a very effective social media. I don't think it's a social media, but it's a messaging platform that you can use. So it's like WhatsApp, but made for companies and made for teams. So everything is organized and you can set a lot of things within the app itself. So if you're interested, that's S-L-A-C-K and it's absolutely free. It's free, right, Asad? Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's free. I think they have a limit of like 10,000 messages. I mean, he's like, you can search historically up to 10,000 messages, but after 10,000 messages, uh, all the messages will start disappearing, but you can always, yeah, it's, it's free forever. I hope. And that's it for today's session. Thank you so much for joining us this time around. Of course, next week, we will come back with another recording, which you can find again here on Spotify. And if you would like to read instead of listen, you can log on to asadzulfahri.com where you can find the blog version of everything that has been shared here on this podcast today and also last week and also for the coming weeks. Thank you again and goodbye.